welcome to another episode of the Speaking the Lawn podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce, and once again, I've got Ben and Zach with me today. Ben, how are you doing on this sunny April afternoon? I'm doing wonderful. We have once again chosen a gorgeous day uh, to <laughs> force me to sit in my basement and talk about Virginia offseason basketball recruiting. So oh, very yeah. happy camper, suffering, not getting to be out on beautiful grounds of Mr. Jefferson's University, but <laughs> thrilled for a team that could maybe win a tournament game next year. You know, you're just getting uh, some pre- experience with the working world post-college where every <laughs> nice day you're just like I wish I was outside <laughs> Zach not to bum you out with our introductions but are, are you doing okay on this beautiful day yeah I'm doing okay I had a math test this morning oh, really? I think it went okay we'll see about that yeah but yeah no I think there's been a little bit of good news for you via basketball in the last week or so so happy to happy to talk about that that is what we are here to discuss the men's team finally catching up with the women's team here virginia as far as off-season recruiting and using some portal portaling to their advantage uh i know we discussed uh, mr minor uh, a little bit last week but he has since committed and then uh roadie uh, has committed as well. So two incoming transfers to talk about, and we'll discuss, you know, what uh, where they fit in from maybe the pieces we lost, but I think more importantly, from the needs that this most recent team had, regardless of the pieces. So uh, why don't we start uh, with the with Miner and uh, Zach break down a little bit about where you see. Uh, him fitting in for Virginia and we can discuss that these are both the best players from two terrible conferences <laughs> and how that might translate to the ACC yeah I mean it's definitely UVA yeah they're definitely sort of counting on some uh, quick or at least effective eventual adjustment to higher conference higher quality play from these two guys um, I think fortunately sort of what makes each of these players good can, and, and they're each different because you road is long-term with three years of eligibility. Minor is, um, you know, M- minor has the athleticism that I think, yes, it's going to be, he's not going to be as dominant um, in the ACC as he was in the Northeast conference, but at the same time, he's a type of player that they needed to bring in. Um, we talked about him some last week, but six eight two forty moves really well. Uh, defensively, he has physicality, he has some quickness, he has decent footwork. Um, I think that he can sort of um, be, be the, the back line of, of the pack line defense fairly well. Um, you know, he he blocks shots. He had an 8.3% block rate last year. Uh, that's 36th nationally uh, on Ken Palm. Has good hands too, 2.6% steal rate. Um, offensively, he drew fouls at an absurd rate. Um, obviously that's not going to be, he's not going to be as good at doing that in the ACC. And he only shot uh, 57.9% on those free throws attempts that he took free throw attempts that he took. So, um, you know, there's some pluses and minuses here, but at the end of the day, they needed some physicality in the front court. They needed someone who could play the five. He's maybe a slightly small ball five, but at the same time, he's in the same mold as Darian Atkins, Akil Mitchell, um, who's going to sort of raise your floor defensively, ensure that you have something um, sort of to, to somebody to, to guard 
opposing big man and to be also also be able to you know hedge out on the perimeter and, and guard ball screens um and prevent uh you know defenses from exploiting you um if you only had you know blake buchanan for instance so i think uh minor's exactly the type of player they needed to bring in he what he gives you on offense will be just gravy i mean he had the 16th highest usage rate um mm. in the country on merrimack or in merrimack so um obviously that will go down um but he is also <laughs> capable on offense like he has a decent back to the basket game um around the restricted area he has a nice little sort of falling away jump shot that he can hit from you know five to eight feet perhaps and and he finishes well as well and, and he's a lob threat uh, off the pick and roll so he's a nice complimentary guy on offense and um yeah i know you have to be happy with it you know th- this is the guy that they wanted and they got him quickly which mm-hmm. is you know always good and and sort of fills um, an, an obvious need. How do you think he matches up guarding Caden Shedrick when Caden's at Duke? <laughs> I think Jordan Minor will draw like three fouls on Caden <laughs> in the first half. If regardless, Caden's not going to go to Duke. Um, I know. But hopefully, Caden, uh, if you're listening, yeah. don't go to Duke, man. Yeah. I want to root for you wherever sad. you go. I can't root for you if you're at Duke. All right. Exactly. Ben, uh, anything to add with like something that excites you about Miner? Yeah, I think one of the things with Miner, with Rhodey, but with Miner as well, that we've seen with these two transfer portal ads is Virginia seeking out players who are going to be able to fit the system a little bit more. Uh, Jordan Miner, Zach mentioned, had a very high usage rate last year, but not necessarily from them giving him the ball and asking him to self-create. He was getting a lot of opportunities set up by other players and sort of playing off the guards on that Merrimack team and a Merrimack team that was again it the worst conference in college basketball if you go by Ken Palm ratings Louisville would have been the favorite to win the conference so I mean that tells you all you need to know well I should hope so regardless (laughs) of how terrible Louisville was (laughs) yes yes yeah their, their conference champion being a team that was not eligible for the tournament actually it ended up being funny with Farley Dickinson going on to then win right. um tournament game but yeah not exactly high level competition and this is again something that'll come up when we talk about Rody but with Miner just watching him play the defense is what excites me more so than the offense i think he's a guy who fits very naturally in the system of what Virginia wants to do he is going to be able to come up and hedge and recover and play that sort of frenetic scrambling but not scrambling because you know exactly where you're supposed to be but it still looks chaotic when you're forcing the ball out of other teams big man's hands and you're forcing guards to pick up their dribble and I think he could be a guy who helps get Virginia back to looking defensively like we expect a Virginia defense to look I think Virginia the last few years has had decent defenses and had like some really good playmakers Reese Beekman's one of the best defensive playmakers that it's ever come through Virginia but it doesn't quite look the way it did in that sort of 2014-2019 period where it was just so overwhelming with the length and offenses just looked completely out of sorts when they played us. And I think Miner could be a step towards getting Virginia back to that point. He's an extremely good defender, and I'm excited to see what he can do against ACC competition. Like, I I think he'll translate, at least on that end. The offense, I'm not so sure about, but the defense, I think, is going to translate. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and it'll be interesting to see um, 
you know, like we already mentioned, the type of uh, competition he's against. But like you said, it's a, it's almost back to what we think of when we think of Virginia defense and, and uh, not just like the level, not just like this needs to be Ken Palm's best defense in the country, but that style of player in that position um, we haven't exactly had. We've had sort of a hodgepodge of different skills that we've talked at about at, at great, great length. Um, similarly, we've had that at the guard position for obvious reasons we don't need to to rehash. Um, ben, do you want to go first with a little um, expectations or excitement from, from uh, Mr. Rohde? Yeah, so Rohde is the guy that I am really excited about, the transfer coming in. Um, he averaged 17 points a game last year, four rebounds, four assists, was first team all Summit League. And again, like the Summit League is not an elite conference. He played at St. Thomas. That's not a school that's high on anybody's radar. But at the same time, he was really, really good as a freshman. Like 17, four and four is impressive for any college basketball player. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find guys putting that up in the ACC at all. And the fact that he can do it as a freshman at any level of college basketball is impressive. But what gets me like excited about him is the same thing that I was excited about with Minor, which is that he fits what Virginia wants to do on offense. Mm-hmm. He's six six. He's sort of this big guard. People have compared him to Ty Jerome. I think they're slightly different. <laughs> I know players. some of those people um, who've made that comparison. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so some people on this podcast may have compared him to Ty Jerome. <laughs> but it, it's funny. Um, They'll get a I'm chance to speak to in a minute. Okay, Don't, <laughs> Zach, Zach will get to spit it out. Um, I. <laughs> We're I'm not sure good, <laughs> I don't think they're the same player um but a lot of the things Rody is good at are also things that Ty Jerome was good at mm-hmm. uh from watching them play I think Rody's a little more comfortable coming off screens and sort of creating in the flow of the offense whereas Ty was a little bit better when he could slow it down and have a chance to go just one-on-one with guys especially down the stretch um like, I think his one-on-one creation is a little bit better, but I think Rody might also be better suited to play in the blocker mover offense. And that so was, that's like... Why is that? Way? I've heard you say that before, but like explain why is he suited so well for blocker mover? Yeah, so watching him play, I think some players Virginia has had recently, like think about, I guess, Ben Vanderplas shooting. Like he needed to have a straight line, almost like he needed to be aligned with the basket to get his shot off. Uh, Rody isn't like that. Rody can come off a screen, take one dribble going horizontally, and then square up and shoot. Mm-hmm. Really, in more of a Kyle Guy way than mm-hmm. a Ty Jerome way. He's not Kyle Guy, and that his release takes a little while to get off. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the athletics coverage when he transferred, and one of the things that Sam Bassini pointed out was that he isn't quite as good of a shooter as people might think, just because his release takes a minute to get off. And so he's not quite as threatening as his percentages and his volume might suggest, but he's still going to be a major upgrade. And the fact that a guy might need a dribble going horizontally to get his shot off isn't really a problem for Virginia because that's what blocker mover is asking guys to do anyway, is come curl off these screens and sort of create. He's also, uh, I haven't watched him play, so I, I haven't seen like a full game, so I can't back this up. But people have said he's a very good playmaker, like off the dribble. Mm-hmm. which is something that Virginia hasn't had from those guys who can come around streets. Like Armand Franklin was their best player at curling and shooting last year, mm-hmm. but Armand Franklin wasn't curling and looking to make another read, make another pass. 
Mm-hmm. So if Brody can do that, that'll be another sort of wrinkle that Virginia can add. Um, I will throw it over to Zach though, because Zach is the Brodius Time Jerome guy, and I <laughs> would love to hear what he has to say. I personally don't see it, Ooh. but. Ooh. All right, the all right. Floor well, is yours. First, first of all, uh, it is news to me that his name is pronounced Rody. I was going with Road. I think I said this multiple times on this podcast already um, and thought you guys were just like saying Rody as a nickname. Oh. Uh, so my bad on that one. Um, we did our journalistic research. Yeah, I watched <laughs> yeah. a highlight video and listened to the... Listen well, to the announcer say "Rody." I think I've said this before. <laughs> I'm I, I mute all of that stuff, so I've watched him extensively. Anyway, um, okay. First of all, the Ty Jerome comp is more like the player mold he can fit into at UVA. That being said, I think a big guard who can shoot the ball relatively well is something that UVA just. Like, yes, you had that in Armand Franklin, but Armand Franklin is very much sort of like three and D mold. Yes, he did some stuff in the paint for UVA, like very good player. Don't want to sort of trash on him here. But having a guy who you can run in the pick and roll and, and can sort of like actually, you know, because they use ball screens in the size offense. They, they have sort of, a, you know, where they sort of molded the continuity ball screen offense and the mover blocker offense into one and having a guy who can attack off the dribble like that from the wing and also be able to pull up and shoot. I think that like just the way that Rody's game projects is in the direction of a Ty Jerome, probably not as ball dominant um, as Ben sort of alluded to. Now, obviously he shot just 33.1% from three last year. And so, you know, after we sort of, uh, you know, kind of got a little bit fools golded by um, Ben Vanderblas and the sort of the way that, yeah, he t- took a lot of threes, but didn't make a lot of threes. It's it's you, you want to be hesitant with sort of declaring Road as this like sharpshooter, as, as also Ben mentioned, with sort of a, a, a slow release. At but the same time, the level of difficulty doesn't, doesn't suggest that he is a sharpshooter. You know, like with thirty two percent, right? Yeah, like no, this one's a like thirty three point one right, right, last right. year, fifty five for one sixty six. That's also on five point seven attempts per game. Right, right. It was on a high d- level of difficulty. Um, I think that the way that sort of St. Thomas required him to play is not how UVA will require him to play. He's not going to come in and hit 41%, but I think that it's very reasonable to perhaps expect or, or to sort of project for him being a 38% shooter from deep who can also do things off the dribble. Cause that's what you're getting here. You're not just getting a player who's going to be firing away from deep. He's not Kyle guy. He has more to his game offensively. Um, again, like these are all projections saying he's Kyle Guy, saying he's Ty Jerome. He's not going to come in and be Kyle Guy against Auburn. That's just not going to happen. But if we're looking long term, his career in two years plus, um, he can give you playmaking that they haven't had from a big guard who can also threaten you as a shooter. So what does that mean? That means team can't, teams can't go under ball screens when when they set a high pick and roll for him, which mm-hmm. is something that they've historically done against UVA's recent guards in the who who played heavy minutes right they have to go over ball screens he's a big guy he can put them on his back and then make plays from there um you know there's going to be adjustments obviously to the acc to the speed of things but when you watch his game film and the highlight videos and and even when you watch full games you can just tell like this guy was a step ahead of everybody in that conference does that project to him being a step ahead in the acc next season absolutely not but it's sort of the mold 
fit. And, and you can tell that, that he's a guy that can be a very good player in the ACC. Mm-hmm. And I think that Tony Bennett loves this type of guard and, and knows how to take a guy and put him in the right situation. Cause this is the thing about the UVA offense is that it's not really, unless you are Ty Jerome and you sort of built up that tra- trust with Bennett, you're not really ever truly going in isolation. It's all sort of like just different elements of the offense, different parts working together at the same time to put an individual in a situation where they can get a step and create an advantage. And I think that road both works as a guy who can capitalize on someone else, like a re-speakman getting a step and then hitting an open three when the ball is swung to him. I also think that he can create advantages within the UVA offense and having a guy who's six, six, who can provide blank defensively hit a 3% steal rate last year. Again, that's a summit league. Again, he's going to have to adjust all that sort of understood and established. Um, but having a guy of this size, this caliber, who projects to be a good shooter. He shot 80% from the line, um, 52% from the field, 40% from the mid-range, which isn't amazing, but if you can shoot 40% on jump shots from the mid-range, you can shoot 40% from three. Um, and so I, I just – I love the way that – If you can I love catch how a wrench, a... you can catch a dodgeball. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yes. So um, anyway, uh, big fan of Rody. I think that next year he's – the right type of guard to bring in that has a, a sort of high ceiling um, who can also just at, at his very worst, he can shoot 35% as a catch and shoot guy off the bench. Like at, at his very worst, he'll be able to do that for you and not be a massive minus defensively at his very best in two years. He can be a starting player on a team making a late run in the NCAA tournament. Who's arguably potentially maybe a star. Um, as Ben said, not everybody can average 17 points per game in college basketball. That's just not something that, that you know, you, you can count on. And, and I think that um, building towards the future is key. And, and this is the type of player that they needed to get. They needed someone who is young, who has promise. Um, you know, yes, adjustment is necessary. But, but I, I, I love this get. And I think that um, this is a good bet from Tony Bennett. Because if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. And you still have guys like Isaac McNeil and you still have Elijah Gertrude coming in playmakers with the ball in their hands who can also knock down a shot. And now you're just taking a chance on someone else who can probably fit that mold. And if he doesn't, you have other guys. And so there's not really like, there's no way that this, sorry, it is, it is unlikely that this turns out to be a bad get, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it can only be good and potentially great. And so sort of with that in mind, um, I'm excited for the potential that he has. Well defended. I, um, I'm sorry we teased you. That's okay. I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> I know something you and I, Zach, were talking about, and I'm, I'm sure Ben's been in similar discussion with you, but in projecting next year's rotation, it's far too early to really get a good idea, but you know, it's, it's, we won't know if we're right or wrong about this for a while, but right now looking at it, I think it's, it's something going back and forth between the uh, the Gertrude pickup as a freshman and Rody coming in and that maybe being a question mark as like who's going to win out on the starting and whether it be starting or just starters minutes off the bench. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and you know, none of this is to go against how great we think Elijah Gertrude could be, but he is coming off a knee injury. So it is nice to say, OK, you have depth here regardless and potentially Rody might be more game ready to contribute heavily. Um, is that fair to say, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think 
just comparing Gertrude and Rhodey, I mean, Rhodey's played a year of college basketball. Right. He was just first team all summit and Gertrude hasn't played or organized basketball much in a while, probably coming off the knee injury, which isn't to take anything away from the potential that Gertrude has, but for Tony Bennett, having to choose between a guy who is going to contribute to winning more, I think he almost goes with Rhodey by default over Gertrude, which is a shame. I'd like to see Gertrude play at least some next season, and I think mm-hmm. we'll get to see that. But should hope so. Like Rhodey has to be the primary minute getter, in my opinion. Assuming he shows up and fits in you know i I mean on the court i don't mean socially i'm I'm sure he's a nice kid and will fit in (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know like i guess you never really really know until they start running through those do we know where his girlfriend goes to school oh we'll see (laughs) it's good vibes only on this podcast um usually (laughs) we, we won't be taking any any midwest jabs um but Zach, where do you see um, sort of, you know, same question to you, like in those discussions, seems like starters minutes could be there for Alex Rudy to take, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely to could some depend degree on come... Reese. Sorry, yeah, no. it depends on Reese. Like that that's sort of the, the yeah, that that's what needs to be determined. Um, if Reese is back, I mean, it, it's a funny conversation because, you know, there's also Dante Harris, who is also mm-hmm. a transfer. I mean, he's been around, fortunately, so he's you know, played in the defense for a couple of months in practice and, and Bennett has an idea for what he can and can't do. I think you're um, penciling him in starters minutes regardless of any of this. I think in my mind. So, that's how in, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a world in which Reese comes back, McNeely's starting, and Rhodey impresses enough that he jumps Harris. I think that there's a world that that happens. Imagine the shooting. Like, again, like, Rhodey's not going to be 40. He's not going to be as elite of a shooter as as McNeely. But imagine that, right? Like, imagine that sort of offensive backcourt, and then you can bring in a Donta Harris. I think, bottom line, the starting element of it doesn't truly matter. um, But it would be really fun, sort of, like, if you got Beekman back to be able to have those four guys and Elijah Gertrude as a wild card. Um, because Elijah Gertrude can go get himself a bucket. Like that that's just that's what he is. That who that's who he is. He's a fucking getter. And, well, and hopefully and he's he big is. enough that like none of these guys are you making up for like, okay, who who has to be the one, you know, or anything. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they could still be the three, you know, pretty easily. Um, I mean he is like six three, like that's he, he's long enough. I right. guess yeah, that's sort of the point. That's like, what I mean. Yeah, he'll, right. yeah. yeah, like he'll be fine. Um, I mean, a backcourt of Beekman, Harris, and Gertrude is probably something you want to avoid against most teams, just because you know that's six foot six two six three. But at the same time, like you cross that bridge when you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like if you get Beekman back, I really love this front court, or sorry, this backcourt, um, particularly because as we sort of said in the last podcast, you're it's a young core this is a young team and you kind of have to love that after we had two years of an older team that like, you know, I think we can say that, that uh, the 2020, 2021, 2022 team that made the NIT like sort of was a down year. I don't know if they underachieved or overachieved. It sort of sounded like they properly achieved. And then this year, I think we've, come away saying they didn't they they underachieved in the long run by not winning a game in the NCAA tournament. Um uh, so well, you then knew what sort their of, ceiling was gonna be. 
Like yeah, you knew right. you knew where and again, none of this is anti the guys on this team. Obviously, we're anti the result of the right. March tournament. Yeah. But, yeah. Um you knew, yeah, like things were gonna have to go fall into place for this team to make a significant, you know, elite eight or, or further run, which is possible, and we saw flashes of it, but point being, I think hopefully i'm i'm echoing what you were gonna say or stealing your point which is no, with the, young, the young and talented guys like you don't know what the ceiling could be necessarily as and you see it all the time in college basketball it might take a few months but they could be they could be really good if everything clicks right like they could be acc champion caliber if everything clicks not saying they will be of course not everything might click but there's a lot of exciting question marks potentially with the with uh with the potential for, for these guys. Yeah. And, and with say Reese is back, say he isn't back. You have a, you have four other guards in, um, Rhodey, McNeely, Harris, and Gertrude with three and four years of eligibility remaining. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know when the last time four of the top five guards in, in the rotation were that young. And, and this, as you said, like, it's not a knock. There's there's potential. There's a, a ceiling that can be reached here at the same time. What about that 2024, 2024, 2025 team? You know what I mean? Like, if you get Ryan Dunn back. Of course, Ryan Dunn could explode this year offensively and play his way into being a lottery pick, and then maybe this team is actually really, really good because there's a world where that happens. There's also a world where that happens, um, you know, in the spring of, of Ben and my last year here, and they go on a, on, on a big run with sort of like a – that type of young core, this group of guys. And that's what's so exciting, I think. And that's where la- these last two years, it was sort of like, you know, what can this old experienced team achieve right now? Now you get to look at this team and say, even if they lose, even if they get upset, even if it's like all together a down year, what are the flashes that you see? And what are the, assuming that you don't lose guys, you know, a, a mass exodus in the portal, what do you what, what flashes do you see that that Bennett can build on? Because he's proven that he can take young guys and if they earn minutes early, can then turn into star players down the line. And so, you know, this is probably gonna be the youngest team Bennett's had in a long time. And that's fun. All right. Sounds exciting to me. Ben, what uh what's missing? What what pieces are we still looking for in this roster? The front court is still thin. Mm-hmm. It's still not enough. I think they've shored up the backcourt pretty well. I think if you're rolling out, especially if Reese comes back, mm-hmm. I mean, you're rolling out Reese, McNeely, um, Rhodey. You got Dante Harris playing probably big minutes as he has been with the team. He has experience. He does a lot of the things Tony values. Then you you got Gertrude as well. Maybe you get Tane Murray in at the three a little bit. Like that's a solid set of guys um i think the front court is just still too thin though i mean they lost everyone like i think they might have been expecting to lose like one of shedrick and trout yeah. maybe but just getting totally like cleaned out like Caffaro too i mean they yeah. just lost everyone they had in the front court like they, they were really deep there last year and two guys graduate three guys transfer uh, it's a tough situation to be in, but it's certainly going to be throwing Blake Buchanan into the fire a little bit. I think mm-hmm. uh, we're going to get to see what Jordan Minor can do. I mm-hmm. like that. He's going to play 30 plus minutes a game just because <laughs> what else do they have? Right. Uh, we should finally be getting our 
big Ryan Dunn leap, at least in terms of playing time, because again, they have no other options, but I still think this might not be the final version of the roster. Like there's still, it it still looks like a hole to me. It doesn't look like they have the guys to patch it up. Uh, Could that be potentially a 2023 reclass um, high school recruit? Uh, uh, Jaron Stevenson, perhaps? Um, Perhaps. Maybe. Uh, That would be extremely fun. Uh, I don't think we've talked about it much on the podcast, but Jaron Stevenson, uh, Zach was saying earlier, is Kevin Durant. (laughs) Um, I said it in an article, too. People know this. Tell the people (laughs) about Kevin Durant coming to UVA. All right, well, like, if I'm perfectly fine with that comparison that's not just mold i'm like happy with that um jaron stevenson is seriously like elite like top tier prospect best recruit tony bennett could whatever like if they got him he would be the best get of tony bennett's recruiting career lifetime anything and probably wouldn't be passed um unless this sort of brings in (laughs) a new age of five stars coming to virginia which i don't necessarily expect probably Um, not uh jaron stevenson so 610 um he's grown the last couple years he's a 2024 recruit who's been heavily considering a reclass to 2023 to um play college basketball next fall he's uh grew up 30 minutes outside of chapel hill so like you know know that you know, acknowledge that, accept that in your heart before you get too excited. That being said, at 6'10", he can do everything on the basketball court. I mean, he can dribble. He brings the ball up for his high school team. Granted, his high school team, like they started a basketball team, I think, like a couple of years ago. So it's not like a great, it's, you know, his dad's the coach. Um, but it's fun. And, and he brings the ball up. He can shoot the three. He can drive to the rim. He goes in transition. I mean, the way he plays in transition against sort of the teams in his high school tape, which again, like not oh great competition, but he looks like Giannis. Like he yeah. looks like Giannis playing a bunch of second graders. And um, <laughs> it's just, it, he, his, he can pass, he can shoot, he can dribble. He's 6'10", and he would probably be a lottery pick after one year. He's like, Victor, yeah. Victor like, Wambayama, but he's not yeah. quite that. Six inches shorter. For Tony a little ben. shorter. <laughs> yeah. Little shorter. Yeah, well, I mean, Jason Williford went to one of his games last year, I think. And just to give you an idea of both how good he is and the level of competition, I think he had 42 points, 21 rebounds, six assists, and eight blocks. He's putting up Wilt numbers. Yeah. No, I, he, he's the Wilt saying. of... No, no, no. Those are just... No, 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 no. I just or mid-high like... school basketball. <laughs> he's not I'm Wilt, but... I'm the Wilt the amongst my nerdy friends on, on the court, too. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. That... I, I'm not saying I wouldn't be quite You should have seen Ben and I in our... Ben and I in our intermule. Did you, you guys play... Oh, we made some people look like Wilt, all right. You guys played yeah. I Am Ball together and didn't let me know that so I couldn't come <laughs> heckle? <laughs> we were like, what were we, like 0-5? Uh, we, <laughs> we won again. We won again. We won again. I don't think oh, I was goodness. there for that, so that tells you. Yeah, addition um, by subtraction. <laughs> if Ben and I uh, are like arguably the two best players on a team, you know things are not. Yeah, going that's well. a problem. Listen, I've, I've lived that I am life. Uh, not to throw my bus driving friends under the bus, but <laughs> I get it. Um, but the the UTS I am teams were not great at sports. Yes, yeah. um, but Jaron Stevenson. Uh, Back to um, someone who is great at sports, right? Yeah. So the thing about Stevenson I had is... I the segue. You, 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, God, uh, the thing about Stevenson with UVA is that the lack of front court depth or lack of established guys in the UVA front court has meant that reclassifying and coming to play for UVA is a probably just in terms of the immediate sort of opportunities that he'll have, it's it's more open than reclassing and going to North Carolina. Of course, you're saying, Zach, you said that he's a lottery prospect for next year's draft. Wouldn't he be playing anywhere he goes? And that's probably true. And so it's, it's, to some degree, it's like, how much does he like UVA? From what I've heard in the past, I think that his family is open to leaving North Carolina, not just like, a, yeah, we want to look around. Like, no, I think that they've been seriously interested in Tony Bennett and UVA. I think his parents are the type of parents that click with Tony Bennett. Um, I think that, you know, and I, I've probably said this or read this, you know, tens of times by now, but this is probably the most likely five star that t- for Tony Bennett to get yet. Um, right. And it's, you know, we'll see what happens. Um We'll probably know in the in the coming summer months. Um, it, it would be massive for UVA. It would immediately raise their ceiling next season. Um, you're probably not going to get two years out of him. If you did, I mean that would be incredible. Assuming nothing went horribly wrong this year, sort of this coming year. If you got two years out of him, two years out of him, and then sort of had that 2024, 2025 team um, with all these young pieces, hopefully sort of peaking at the right time. UVA would be top five easily, I think. Um, so, yeah, Stevenson's really, really, really exciting if, if UVA good. could pull I'm, off the upset. I'm ready to get hurt again. Yeah, Stevenson yes, exactly. is peak too good for UVA. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's that tier of prospect. The, guy, yeah. the London Johnson school of being really good and really exciting and then not going here. I had totally forgotten about London Johnson. Did, where, did he go G League or – yeah one of those things jaron is way more down to earth than london johnson ever was and jaron's camp is way more down to earth than london johnson's camp ever was so no i'm just saying like there was always smoke around london johnson i mean he committed like three times to uva silently and then was going to commit twice and never did so like yeah there's just london johnson compared to jaron stevenson like like the talent level ben is absolutely correct that being said i think that the the odds are weirdly higher, even though London Johnson told Tony Bennett twice that he was going to commit. Shout out to uh, whoever's doing the social media uh, for the team because I loved uh, Jaron being able to tweet out the recap official visit video. Mm, yeah, um, that was pretty that was sharp. Cool. I just hadn't seen anything like that, so I think that was pretty, pretty monumental as far as like, you know, getting getting a little good publicity out there. Yeah. Um, which, you know, they've done fine with, but I thought this was a step up. So hopefully we see he, more engagement. He like produced that. a video. He produced a video himself, I believe. I don't uh, know if it was him, but he also put out a video that was like, no offense to whoever edited it, not as professionally edited as UVA's, but it was sort of like, you know, phone footage of everything that they did. That oh, yeah, weekend, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. included like, looked like breakfast at the villa with Tony and Wilford Classic. Sakura dinner, a little hibachi up 29 <laughs> with Leon Bond, Ryan Dunn and Jason Wilford. If you haven't seen this, if you can't you can take go... a recruit up route 29, then, you know, what are you doing? Exactly. Like, you yeah. go I mean, the big I am a little bit like, <laughs> it is a little like, yeah, let's drive 25 minutes from JPJ to go. But like, anyway, I can't, um, I you do get to watch Tony Bennett, not catch a piece of shrimp. Mm-hmm. It will yeah. be a GIF used at some point. GIF? 
What's a GIF? That's peanut butter. You guys call it a GIF? Man, I can't do it with pronun- pronunciate. Pronun- whatever, I give up. <laughs> that gives up. Zach, you can't like Tony, trying that. to catch the shrimp. I did a math <laughs> catch this morning. Okay, I Tony, took a by the way, who put in a very poor effort trying going for that shrimp. Like, it's one thing if it goes in and out. That was a. Sometimes they like throw it and it like hits you in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Like that's not your fault. That was a good toss by the chef. Wow. I like. Come on, Tony. Number one, Tony bidding hating podcast in the. Yeah. In the, no, Jer- Jaron was going to commit until he saw Tony do that. <laughs> now, now he will be a. Target. Hubert Davis can catch a piece of shrimp with his mouth. Man. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, plenty to be excited about, but also not done. Uh, There's some other names out there for sure um, in the transfer portal. Um, We didn't really talk about Blue Kane, who's taken some other visits, but did visit Charlottesville. And, you know, I think I enjoyed himself as far as I could tell from his social media. Um, So we'll be back soon because there's probably going to be continuing offseason recruiting uh, news. But obviously, lacrosse is still doing well. Shout out to the throwback uniforms. They'll be uh, yeah. by doing well. I mean, beating everyone but Duke. Um, <laughs> yeah, we uniforms. haven't done a lacrosse podcast since the two Duke losses. We'll have so. uh, we'll have baseball talk as well. A team that maybe has come back down to earth a little bit, but is still looking really good overall uh, in their conference standing. So plenty to discuss as the days get hotter. And exams come up for you two, not me. <laughs> uh, yeah, until then, stay tuned to streakingthelawn.com. Stay subscribed to Speaking the Lawn podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. Go Hoops. 